Hi there, welcome. Uh, you, like me at the moment, are probably in isolation. Um, and as we look back with fond memories on the times when we were allowed to gather in groups larger than 10, uh, one of the things that I remember with fondness is the insight and the fellowship I used to receive in those distant days during Sabbath school discussions. Now, it occurred to me, and some of my friends recently will introduce ourselves soon, uh, that there's no need for that to stop just because we're all at home. Uh, we recorded a small conversation, and we'd like this conversation to be stimulus for your own ideas. If you have any ideas or any thoughts you'd like to share, please email them to us at all one word, all lowercase, sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. Again, the email address is all one word, all lowercase, sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Any comments we receive or any uh, interesting discussion points that are emailed to us we'll uh, share and discuss at the start of next week's podcast. I'm Cameron Rogers. Uh, I'm Lachlan's brother, uh, Ken's friend. Um, I live down here in Launceston and uh, I'm a high school teacher. I teach maths and a bit of aviation and a bit of science. Keeps me on my toes, especially when I'm required to teach over the internet. Uh, I'm a magistrate in Launceston, Cameron's friend, uh, Buckland's friend, and uh, uh, enjoying uh, discussing these uh, uh, psalms, these spiritual issues. And I'm Lachlan, uh, Lachlan Rogers. I live in Sydney. So right at the moment, I'm experiencing life quite interrupted by all of the various activities in the city being shut down. Um, in more normal circumstances, I work at Macquarie University and I'm researching in physics and I enjoy thinking about things and discussing things with friends. So uh, I thought we'd have a look at some psalms, uh, partly because I find them very interesting, partly because some of them are very theologically difficult. Yep. Sounds good to uh, me. Yeah. Do you want to start with a prayer, Ken? I do. So, uh, g'day God. Uh, nice to... Uh, be chatting with a couple of my good friends and thanks for your word and the opportunity to talk about it. Um, Psalm 46, uh, we seek your wisdom and blessing. Amen. 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 Um, I've got in front of me um, a Philip Yancey book, um, The Bible uh, Jesus Read, and he, he opens his um, discussion on Psalms with a quote. Um, from John S. Mogabagab. I don't know how to say that. Mogabagab. Anyway, he starts with a quote. This is the quote. If the Psalms have been a source of spiritual instruction and consolation for many seekers, they have also filled others with discomfort and bewilderment. There is an untidiness, a turbulence, an undertow of mystery in these ancient prayers. Mm. The, the undercurrent of mystery, I think in part, comes for me... Um, from the um, requests for and delight in the destruction of his enemies. Um, yeah. It seems this sort of the wrong thing to be asking for. Uh, although uh, our interest in revenge movies and the like, Taken and um, Man on Fire, um, yes. you know, some of those... The Count of Monte Cristo, yeah. um, yes. the later version, which I think has a better ending than the earlier one. But, um, yeah, all of those sorts of things, clearly we 
want that revenge uh, against the people who done the wrong thing by us. Um, I'm not seeing that so much in Psalm 46. No, well, I picked Psalm 46 because I think it's a it's it's a it's a much gentler uh, sort of start to the psalms than some of the others that you could pick. Um, but I think there's some interesting interesting bits in it. It's certainly uh, more nuanced, I think, than than some of the other psalms. Um, so Psalms 23 is is well, even Psalms 23 has a slight revengeful tone, doesn't it? Because we're we're going to feast in front of our enemies. Yes, although um, there's an interesting thought about that is that he sets a table in the presence of our enemies uh, and there is such an abundance that we will even share with our enemies. Oh. Um, so that's that, that, that sort of brings in Jesus' um, uh, take on how we treat our enemies. There's um, there's another interesting idea that is occurring to me. Just, just two days ago... Um, I was reading a children's story version of the um, the army that comes to try and capture Elisha because Elisha can hear the thoughts of the king, the, the uh, enemy king, even in his own bedroom, and the king doesn't like the sound of that. So he sends the army to capture Elisha, and Elisha asks God to make them blind and then leads them into the capital city and then makes them see where they're where they are and of course the the king then says well should i should i kill these people these enemies and elijah says no 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 make a banquet for them i wonder if there's some sense in which it yeah it's twisting it to to the very opposite of revenge it's actually taking the sting out of their that army's uh, intention to do revenge that story finishes by saying that the israelites were then not troubled for many years Fascinating story because the, 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 the king he asked twice, uh, Shall I kill them? Shall I? Kill them? You, you can hear him saying, oh, I really want to do this. We've got them in our hands. Now mm. we can really get a great victory there. Um, so it seemed to work. Um, of course, uh, you know, revenge, um, the, the spirit of, res- of revenge or, or of resentment doesn't need to be directed at um, human or even animate things. Um, you know, there's there's a sense of rage you get when you stub your toe on something, um, uh, or there's uh, Johnson with his snake bite antidote who who um, takes is misled. Uh, anyone who hasn't read it needs to go and read it. But um, it's a Banjo Patterson poem, and he's misled by a goanna, and the poem ends with him hunting up every stray goanna and shooting it. Mm. Um, so, uh, the, but there is a sense. I mean. There is a sense at the moment with the with the COVID nineteen going around, in in which uh, uh, there's almost a sense, and and people, it's very confusing to me. But uh, there's so much imagery that's been pulled out of of war. You know, we're a country at war. We we can beat this. The Americans are good at this particularly. You know, we're Americans. We're gonna we're gonna beat this virus. Um, uh, we're gonna win. Um, almost as if there's a sense of outrage. Um, how, how how dare, how dare this virus, you know, keep us in our homes? Mm. Yeah, and and yet uh, these viruses are uh, uh, wonderfully uh, um, uh, strong and adaptable um, organisms. Yeah. Um, 
you, you might almost say, Ken, I don't know if this will end up in the final cut of the podcast, that they show a strong evidence of design. Yes, well, well, this one's indeed highly successful. I was looking at the map today of 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 confirmed cases. There are not that many countries on Earth that have zero confirmed cases, and and what we it's four months maybe since it we think it first um, infected a human. So that that speaks, I guess, partly to the effectiveness of the virus itself and partly to the massively interconnectedness of our world, but. Both are fairly profoundly demonstrated. Well, um, getting back to Psalm 46, I think that Psalms, uh, Psalms 46 um, speaks to the situation fairly well. And um, as I was saying before, before I got distracted by something, I can't remember what, um, that it, it is a more nuanced psalm than, say, Psalms 23, which paints a picture of everything just being rosy and nice. And... Um, there's a there's a fair amount of violence. Um, there's violence in the natural order of things in the natural world um, in Psalm 46, and and God responds with with violence of His own, but it says it's of a surprising sort. Um, so uh, shall we shall we read a few verses each and just discuss it as we go through? Well, can I suggest we read it right through yep. and then come back and discuss it? Okay. Because uh, it's good, you get the whole picture then. Yep. Um, you get the sense of it. Yeah. Um, uh, so, well, uh, do you want to start, Block? Do you want to? Yeah, I'll do the first. Well, why don't we split up? There's eleven verses. Yep. You yep. go the first three. Cam, you go four to seven, and I'll go eight to eleven. Sounds good. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm gonna I'm gonna start reading the first couple of verses here in the New Living Translation. God is our refuge and strength always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Uh, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She shall not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then this is the new Revised Standard Version. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I'm struck a little bit by verse 8, which seems to get slightly turned on its end in verse 9, because verse 8 seems to speak of of destruction being brought upon the world. Um, but then the following phrases are about wars ending throughout the earth and breaking the bow and snapping the spear and burning shields and it seems that it's it's not so much god destructing the world but destructing the destructive acts that are occurring within the world and 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 the preceding verses in the psalm 
I mean, the psalm deals with destruction and uproar and chaos, um, you know, right from the very start. I mean, the opening verse refers to trouble. Um, you know, it's notable that, that God is not our refuge and strength pre- preventing any trouble. Um, he, he provides help to us in trouble. Um, so there's yeah. there's the presence of trouble right at the start. And then we're not going to be afraid even though, and then there's a long list of things that, that's happening that aren't very nice. Um, the earth is giving way, mountains collapsing into the sea, waters roaring and foaming. Um, uh, yeah, the sort of things that we see on our television screens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, volcanoes, earthquakes, uh, tsunamis. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, you could almost say that the the central theme seems to be this play between uh, those things which are uh, temporary, uh, which come and go, which collapse into disorder, um, and the things which are permanent. Um. And safe and secure. And there's a sense in which the things that appear permanent, a mountain, for example, yeah. uh, or the earth beneath our feet, um, or the you know the sea, or you know those things that appear to be permanent. Yeah. Um, uh, it is often just an appearance, uh, and I think well, bring it back to current events. Um, uh, our, we, we look at you know, our ability to go shopping we look at our ability to live a civilised life um, and then all it takes is a, you know, a microscopic organism um, to uh, uh, completely uh, show how the, the error in that perception yeah. um, There's an interesting... Yet, Sorry, you go. No, yet our God is our refuge and strength. Mm. Almost seems unrealistic, doesn't it? Really? Mm. Mm. Well, there's there's That's a very the interesting... <laughs> um, yeah, there's a very interesting sort of progression of the style, the tone of voice almost in this psalm because it it goes through some, some large, loud perhaps violent. I'm trying to think of the sort of words that come to mind to describe the tone. There's there's mountains crumbling into the sea. There's oceans roaring and foams and mountains trembling. These are these are big and dramatic and loud. Um, and then what's really fascinating is the verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. It's almost as if it's contrasting that. It's it's taking this the word painting of drama and large movement, noise, action, violence. And it's now instructing, be still and know that I am God. So there's that's that's not just an instruction out of the blue. It seems to me that there's a contrast being made there. Um, leading into the conclusion, you know, be still and know that I'm God. I'll be honored. The Lord of Heaven's armies is here among us. So it it's reflective and calming and soothing I'm I'm feeling in the tone here a bit of a message of comfort and a bit of a message of um of peace. A translation for today might be 
self-isolate and know that I am God? Um, yeah. It's interesting too because um, you know that that contrast happens several times. There's there's the opening with the mountains falling into the sea, um, and then um, the natural order collapsing. You know the mountains and the earth and the waters are compared with the river, whose streams make glad the city of God, and God is within her and she won't fall, not like the mountains, and God will help her at break of day, and then we're back into the chaos. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. Um, the earth melts, um, and then there's the response, and then this desolations. I really liked it when I when I read this. The and I hadn't really picked it up, but it was the point you made earlier, Locke. That the desolations are are not really desolations in the sense of the previous desolations. And then against all this tumult, there's the, the instruction to be still. It really that that really struck me as sort of incongruous that instruction to be still compared to the previous language uh, which yeah. was so violently active mm. um, and even God's even God's desolations I mean uh, and the way that he brings the war to an end is and it appears to be an exercise of power uh, you know, he breaks the bow again a, a, uh, a dramatic uh, word and shatters the spear and burns the shields with fire. Mm-hmm. So they're all uh, very, uh, well, they're, they're, they're in a sense warmongering acts or acts of war, uh, and yet what they do is bring the war to an end, and there seems to be an inconsistency there. Mm. Uh, and, yet, and then it finishes off with the big steel. It's almost as if the 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 verbs and the descriptive words coming here in these first nine verses are evoking an adrenaline response. They're big, dramatic, you know, I mean, if you'd plant yourself into that setting with these events happening around you, you'd definitely have this this adrenaline response of running, of of escaping or of getting away or maybe having to fight. And that makes the be still part even more. Uh, of a contrast, doesn't it? Because be still is the last thing you would imagine doing with that amped up, highly energized, adrenaline powered situation. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of that story. Uh, 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 is it in Chronicles where they go out to battle and God says to them, "Just stand there and watch what I will do." Yeah. So there's that. There's not not. Not, this is not what you do. Your job is to stand. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, or Gideon. Gideon does that um, also. And, um, true. And Gideon has to, God has to reduce his, his, his army down a bit, trim it down to size. Yeah. Um, and you were talking about Elisha earlier, and that's what, that's what God does to, in, the, in the next story. He does an act which makes them think the enemy's being attacked, and so they. Uh, uh, but they just run away. That it's they're just doing it to themselves, so they run yeah. away. Um, I've got a I've got a couple of thoughts. I actually just went up um, and got a book because something came to me that I, I thought was worth sharing, with the, which I'll share soon. There is suggested in this, it, there is an expectation that you will just have to put up with a lot of stuff. C.S. Lewis was once asked 
is it true that as a Christian you have to uh, anticipate a life of pain and suffering? And his response was, well, everyone has to anticipate a a life of pain and suffering. Just as he makes the rain to shine on the just and the unjust, he doesn't stop the suffering from uh, coming to the just and the unjust. Yeah, the... I was just going to say, yeah, the the construction of this psalm is definitely pointing towards the peaceful state at the end, acknowledging, honouring God and acknowledging his presence in a state of peace. This, the structure of the psalm is certainly pointing towards that as being the ideal, that as being the goal that we're striving to get to. That's how it, that's how it feels to me when I'm reading this. Hmm. That seems to be where it's headed, doesn't it? This is the the writing that I um I picked up when I ducked out a few minutes ago. This is C.S. Lewis, an essay on living in the atomic age. Um, so C.S. Lewis is responding to the phenomena of nuclear weapons, which was new at the yeah. time. And um, though ours is a biological rather than a physical threat, I, I, I think it's um, relevant. C.S. Lewis says, um, We may think a, a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply. Why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when the raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at any night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, or before COVID-19. Um, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors and aesthetics, but we still have that. It's perfectly ridiculous to go on about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. Mm. I think that brings us back to the appearance thing that, you know, we have this uh, illusion that somehow we can, uh, with enough knowledge, um, uh, we will and are entitled to death. Um, yes. I mean, basically, the message of the Psalm 46 is that um, th- this sense of outrage we feel against calamity is is pretty much irrational. Calamities of one sort or another will happen. Um, indeed, if, if these calamities um, force us to think more carefully about our lives and, the, and what they mean... I mean, this may end up benefiting a huge number of people. Uh, but certainly one of the things we ought to think about in calamity is God being still and remembering that we live in a, in a world uh, full of chaos, stopping and knowing that he's God. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the psalm actually opens with that. It's sort of in the first phrase, it's unpacking the whole idea. And then the rest of the psalm just goes on to expand it because the first phrase is that god is our refuge and strength always ready to help in times of trouble so it's preempting that state that we get to at the end what does that look like 
what does that refuge, that strength, uh, look like? It's a great question, and I don't think I have a great answer. But what it, it I hear that quote that Cameron read from C.S. Lewis saying something kind of similar to verse two here. It's it's a bit about fear, right? You can humans are not great at measuring or at responding rationally to fear. We we tend to be much more frightened of flying in a plane than we are of driving a car, which is not particularly statistically well informed. Um, so, so we're not great with fear. And I think when sometimes these, these really big and vivid events or scenarios are right in front of us for Lewis in the early years after world war two, it was a culture dominated by the fear of nuclear war. And, and for us right now, obviously there's a massive social fear around COVID-19 and that fear may not be related to particular personal health it may simply be a fear related to employment certainty or getting enough food or even being able to find toilet paper. So so these things tend to become fears that become dominant. And what I think the psalm is kind of saying is if we can, if we can acknowledge God is our refuge and strength, if we can be still and reflect on his um, leading presence, uh, his, so the, it finishes with God being here among us. I think that that perspective shift can actually be a really powerful way to just reset our our bad calibration on fear and just recognize it hasn't taken away those threats, but it's helped put things back into a slightly more healthy perspective. Yeah, the the things that we have that are threatened are temporary things anyway. Um, they were things that at, at some point each of us will have to give up. So in that sense from a, an eternal perspective, we, we are not worse off at the moment. And is that perhaps the way in which, and perhaps even the only way in which uh, one can see God as our refuge and strength, if you take a particular view of uh, human existence, and that is that it's not limited to this world. One of the problems with fear is it de- it's very debilitating um, in terms of your ability to respond to other people in need. So I think part of this process about stopping and remember that God is God is also to remember that we are his agents here and that ours is the capacity. What our philosophy teacher at Grammar has been at the school where I work has been telling all of his students that they are living through history and they will remember for the rest of their lives how they responded to this crisis. And that's true. Mm, very good. Well, are there any suggestions on what our next psalm should be? Yeah, I think it's a... Um, I can't, none come to my mind straight away, but I think it's clearly a, an interesting and a fruitful focus for a, for a bit of a discussion. There are two others then that I think of because they contain... Uh, a couple of my favourite verses. And one is Psalm 20, and I'm particularly like verse Paul, may he grant you your heart's desire to fulfil all your plans. Um, and there's a wonderful ambiguity to discuss there. Um, right. And the other is Psalm 37, 
which also has in verse 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, so Psalm 37 is much longer than Psalm 20, I might say. We might pick the shorter psalm then. Sounds a good plan. Psalm 20. Well, that's all for this week's discussion. If you have any thoughts or contributions that you would have made were you with us in person, uh, please email them through. Uh, don't forget that the email address is sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, feel free to give comments both on Psalm 46 and perhaps on Psalm 20, uh, our discussion for next week. We'll, we'll keep uh, track of all the comments and we'll include... Uh, a discussion of them at the beginning of next week's podcast. Again, thanks for joining us.